Ocasio-Cortez is at it again. She says that New Yorkers, get this, are afraid to go to the hospital because they are afraid of President Trump. Excuse me? All right, that's coming up. CNN's Jim Acosta, he asked Trump another gotcha question at a press briefing, and Trump let him have Trump wipe the floor with him. We will play you that clip in a moment. And now the media is accusing. Can the media just stop it? Can you just for a few weeks just pretend that you're actually journalists trying to report the news instead of making everything about how evil Trump is? So they're accusing the Surgeon General of being a racist against blacks, of being prejudiced against blacks. Here's the problem. The Surgeon General is black. And the media, they actually know that because they're in the room with him. So just a couple of weeks. Stop accusing the Trump administration of being racist. Stop making everything, including the pandemic, revolve around race. Everything's about race. Climate change is about race. The climate change is racist against the blacks. And so is the coronavirus. Just do your job. There's a horrible disease spreading around the world. Just just for take a few weeks off from just turning Trump into this monster. And remember when they said the coronavirus task force is not diverse enough. You know, just stop spinning everything as like Trump's fault. You know, that now they're blaming Trump because he didn't respond to the coronavirus early enough. And by the way, you know, just while the global pandemic is happening, can you just I'm just I'm not asking you to like reform yourselves and actually behave like human beings instead of the disgraceful subhumans that you are. All right, Ocasio Cortez. And by the way, had Trump has been extremely toned down. Let's point that out. Uh, Ocasio, but the media they can't follow suit. Ocasio Cortez, she says that more people in New York would be going to the hospital if not for the xenophobic. COVID response from President Trump. Literally, those are her words. She says she's heard firsthand accounts of people too scared to go to a hospital because of Trump's comments. Here's here's her tweet. Corona Queens is the most heavily COVID impacted zip code in America. I can tell you firsthand, many people are too scared to go to the hospital because of Trump's xenophobic COVID response. And it just happens to be just one of those bizarre coincidences that Corona Queens, the neighborhood in Queens, uh, you know, there's a lot. The LaGuardia Airport is right near there. Flushing Meadows Park, the Tennis Association, and a, l- a large Hispanic community lives in Corona, Queens. It's like almost the Hispanic capital of the entire New York City. Corona and Flushing. Anyway, so she doesn't explain what what is she talking about. Trump's xenophobe. Okay, good. Trump's a xenophobe, and his response has been xenophobic, and which is a good thing, by the way, because what that means essentially is he's discriminating against Asians, who are the ones who brought the disease to to, to the world in the first place. But the point is that what, what is she talking about? So they don't got to go. I'm not going to go into the hospital. What is Trump waiting you for you there in the hospital with his xenophobic task force? Is the Trump xenophobic team is in Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York, about to pounce on people who go, hey, it's bizarre. Is the media going to ask Ocasio-Cortez about they're, they're busy asking Trump every silly gotcha question. How about saying, oh, Mr. Ocasio-Cortez? What are you talking about? Trump's xenophobic response is preventing people from entering a hospital. What is Trump there at the hospital? All right, so last week, Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General, here's what he's guilty of. He's trying to get blacks and Hispanics to avoid getting sick and to get treatment and to not go, you know, not not basically uh, catch coronavirus. That's what he's trying to do. And the way he's doing it is he's speaking in a language that they can relate to. He's speaking in their terminology, Jerome Adams, and he's a racist against blacks. He's black. 
and, and a PBS reporter, this is that same, this is Yamish Alcindor, that same black he, uh, PBS reporter who a few weeks ago was attacking President Trump, uh, something about his response to the coronavirus. She was way, way, way off. And we played you some of those clips. But he, here's what Jerome Adams said. He told blacks and Latinos, he said, avoid alcohol and drugs because alcohol and drugs, I guess, can weaken their immune system. And then he said, and I'm quoting, do it for your abuela, do it for your granddaddy, do it for your pop pop. Those I'm just quoting his words. I don't know exactly even what those abuela apparently is grandmother in Spanish. Granddaddy, I guess his grandfather, pop pop, I guess means your father. He's trying to say, do it for your family members. That's what he's trying to say. You know, similar to when the Baltimore mayor said, stop shooting people because maybe your mother or aunt are going to end up in the hospital and we're going to have to use the hospital bed for the person you shot, right? So Jerome Adams is telling them words that they can understand. She accuses him, this Yamish Alcindor, of being a racist. Again, just fool these the reporters, they look so foolish. And here's, here, here's how I'm going to read you the quote from this reporter. Quote, you said African-Americans and Latinos should avoid alcohol, drugs, and tobacco. You also said do it for your abuela, do it for your papa, do it for your mama. Some people online are already offended by that language. This is actually at the same briefing. And she says some people online are already offended by that language. The idea that you're saying behaviors might be leading to these high deaths, death rates. Could you talk about whether or not, could you respond to the people who might be offended by the language you use, such a question is not even coherent. Is her issue the language he used or is the issue that he's talking about behaviors like drugs, alcohol, and tobacco? He's trying to save their lives. He is trying to save the lives of black people. He is a black person. And she says some people online are already offended. Who is she talking about? She doesn't say. Except that she had already tweeted that she was offended by that language at that same press briefing. So apparently she's talking about herself. So she like writes this tweet that she's offended. Some people online are offended. I don't know what she's talking about. But here's the thing is he's black. He is black. What is the racism? He's talking. And I mean, it's just bizarre. So here's what he said. He said, quote, I've been meeting with the NAACP, National Medical Association and others. I talked to Derek, Derek Johnson, head of the NAACP. We need targeted outreach to the African-American community. And I use the language that he used in my family. I have a Puerto Rican brother-in-law. I call my granddaddy, granddaddy. I have relatives who call their grandparents mama. That is not meant to be offensive. So essentially, he's saying, and this is, I'm quoting another article, open your eyes, I'm black. Hello, wake up. You know, but again, it's this fake outrage because he. if you're a member of the Trump administration, you're a, a, a racist, even if you're black. You cannot make this stuff up. And they're trying to blame Trump for this pandemic as uh, you know they thought that he was being too extreme with the travel ban now they're saying that you know they're trying to drive a wedge between him and Anthony Fauci Dr. Burks and say that somehow if Trump had responded earlier and even Dr. Fauci said if Trump had responded earlier it could have prevented death Dr. Fauci said well yeah I guess technically if you had prevented everyone from coming to the United States earlier on I mean but he was getting criticized Trump for being too harsh and too extreme you cannot have it both ways now there are claims by Democrats that the virus itself is somehow racist. And not to minimize, I think you all know out there, you know, how strongly I feel about this whole situation and how tragic it is, how horrific it is, how unspeakable it is. We're still in the middle of this crisis. But it's just I need I need to call out the media and the Democrats because they're being egregious. They're taking a problem and making it so much worse and playing the blame game and playing politics. And it's a, it's truly outrageous. So Maryland Governor Larry Hogan 
Larry Hogan says that they are going to be investigating that there's a disparity and a, a very disproportionate number of blacks in Baltimore or Maryland, I believe Baltimore, are being killed by the coronavirus much higher than the actual proportion of blacks that there are uh, in the actual city. So, in other words, a disproportionate number of blacks are being killed versus whites. And uh, Larry Hogan, who's actually a Republican governor of Maryland, he says that they're going to be investigating. They're going to have analysts go and take a look at those numbers. Steny Hoyer, Democrat, one of the Democrat leaders in Congress, he wrote a letter to the governors, and specifically Larry Hogan leads that, uh, that, that, that group of governors. He says that what's going on with this racial disparity I'm not sure what the implication is here. Now, look, we have to wait and see what, you know, what exactly conclusions they draw. But I don't believe that doctors and hospitals are discriminating against blacks. I would imagine. I have no idea. Pure speculation. You know, maybe blacks tend to live in more urban areas. Maybe they live in more concentrated areas in Baltimore and therefore get they're getting hit harder. I would suspect there's a lot of logistical reasons. Maybe the fact you know, that, uh, that maybe the, the precautions are not being uh, taken as strongly in some of those areas. Maybe they're not following the guidelines. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But what, what could the explanation possibly be? I mean, what exactly are they saying? That's, maybe they'll say that somehow the hospitals in the black areas are not getting enough supplies to deal with this. But I do find that a little bit hard to believe. Now, you have conservatives saying that the government are violating people's First Amendment rights by not allowing religious groups to gather and worship. They're saying that the government is actually discriminating against religious people. There is that allegation by conservatives. My first reaction is I don't like this. I, As you know, I believe that public health comes first. This is one of those situations where the First Amendment is not being violated because the, the exceptions to the rule are if there's a danger, a threat, some kind of hazard being posed by people, if they have if they express their right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, right? You have all these lockdowns. People are not allowed to go shopping to, for, for non-essential items. People are not allowed, to get together, not allowed to get together in large groups. Why is that not a violation of freedom of speech or freedom of assembly? The answer is because... There's a public health crisis, right? So I would say the same thing about freedom of religion. But there are conservatives who claim that's not true. And apparently Attorney General William Barr is looking into allegations that the government is specifically targeting religious groups in some states. So we will keep an eye on that. Or I listened to this exchange at a White House press briefing between Jim Acosta and President Trump. In this first clip, I just want to play you Jim Acosta's question. Here it is. Mr. President, we hear from a lot of people who see these briefings as sort of happy talk briefings. And no happy talk today. You and, and some of the officials paint a rosy picture of what is happening around the country. Happy talk briefings. You, the, the White House officials play a, paint a rosy picture. What planet is he living on? I mean, if I'm Trump, and Trump was very restrained in his responses, you'll see. If I was President Trump, I'd say, Jim Acosta, are, did you just get here from Mars? A rosy picture? Happy talk every day. They talk about the numbers. Every day they talk about the devastation and how horrific this pandemic has been and all and, and, and all the extreme lockdown measures they've taken, even though Trump can't stand the fact that he's locking the country down. The economy tanking. Rosy, happy picture. Rosy talk is Jim Acosta. I, I, I mean, this is just bizarre. All right. Now, listen to the exchange that followed. At least I'll play a part of it. The rest of it you can hear in the audio section. But here it is. If you look at some of these questions, do we have enough masks? No. Do we have enough tests? No. Do we have enough PPE? No. Why would you say no? Do we have I enough the answer equipment? is yes. 
I think the answer is yes. Who, who said no to that? I, I, I'm saying this. No, is no, you're saying no. But who said hear, no? We but you asked from, me, do we have enough masks? We hear from yes. Doctors, we hear from no, no, you didn't experts. say that. You said, do we have enough masks? Does the country? Yes. Does do we have enough tests? Yes. Plus, we're developing new tests. Do we have enough? Do we have enough ventilators? Yes. Do we have enough hospital beds? Yes. We've built twenty thousand hospital beds. We have enough hospital beds. Go ahead, Jim. Let's go. Well, what do you say to? I mean, you watch the coverage. You know what I'm watching say? a lot of the coverage. Well, a lot of it's fake news. No, no, a lot of it's fake news. A lot of it's fake news. Let me just when the doctors the, and the medical the governors, come on our air, the and governors say reported that we don't have enough tests. We don't have enough. The governor, yeah, depending on your air, they always say that because otherwise you're not going to put them on. Let me just tell you something. The governors have said last night they had a group of governors, 14 governors. They were together someplace, and they said it's been unbelievable. What's happened? We've been totally responsive. Ventilators. Everyone has the ventilators they need to a point where we're getting calls from foreign countries saying, you have all the ventilators. Can we get some? Can we? And we're going to try and help some of these countries. These people have done an incredible job. This is not happy talk. Maybe it's happy talk for you. It's not happy talk for me. We're talking about death. I mean, it's just mind-numbing to listen to these to Jim Acosta and these reporters. And as usual, they give zero basis. They ask these questions. They don't bring, cite a single source. They don't cite a single, well, you know, any one of their experts that they're supposed to be quoting. And then he says, well, doctors say, doctors say. So what does Trump say? He says, very smart. He says, yeah, doctors, the, one, the doctors on CNN, they're the ones who are saying that we don't have enough beds and supplies because you wouldn't let them on. They're only allowed on CNN if they give the answers you want them to give. And then Trump goes on and talks about how the the governors are saying there's plenty. By the way, if you listen later in that clip, we don't have that part of it here. It's in the audio section where Trump says that Governor Cuomo set up the hospital in the Javits Center and they they cannot fill those beds. They're simply not filling those beds. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that they're overprepared and they have a surplus. But for then Jim Acosta to go and say, well, you have all these doctors who say that you're painting a rosy picture and say we don't have enough supplies. We don't have enough hospital beds. We don't have enough ventilators. And Trump says, yes, we do. In fact, other countries are actually saying to us, you have all the ventilators. We want some of those ventilators. And Trump is graciously saying, well, we're going to give some of the ventilators to a rosy picture. I mean, they, they try, oh, being overly positive. And this is Jim Acosta. This is his narrative is it used to be that Trump's a racist. Now Trump is being so positive. You can't be positive. There's a global pandemic every which way you go. When Trump says, I think we need troops in Syria. We got to pull we, we got to pull the troops out of Syria. Now Trump decides we're pulling out of Syria. We need troops in Syria. And you know, we we need to fight the war in Iraq. We need to get out of Iraq now because Trump wants to stay in Iraq. I, I mean anything the man I'm telling you Trump should announce tomorrow that he's a socialist. Suddenly you know, all these all these liberals would turn into capitalists and conservatives. All right, so getting into the uh, other politics of the day here. Bernie Sanders, as you know, last week dropped out of the race. It's not a surprising move because Joe Biden was more than just a front runner. You know, it, it was virtually impossible for Bernie Sanders to try to stage a comeback and to win the nomination because that's how far ahead Biden was. You had these primaries. Some of them were continuing despite the coronavirus and uh, Biden pulled ahead by about 300 delegates. We still don't know the Wisconsin results, but probably Bernie Sanders had some kind of internal polling that said that Wisconsin had gone for Joe Biden. Florida, Joe Biden won by a landslide. And Bernie Sanders was under a lot of pressure 
from Democrat Party leaders who are saying to him, listen, you're forced, you're handcuffing Joe Biden because Joe Biden, he at a certain point, he needs to be able to focus on the general election on campaigning against President Trump. And it may seem early right now, but we're talking about months and months of campaigning and more so Biden is really being handcuffed by the coronavirus, the fact that he is right now stranded at his home in Delaware for the foreseeable future, not on the campaign trail. Totally irrelevant, barely, you know, barely even getting these television interviews because he's got nothing to say that anybody's interested in hearing as long as this pandemic's going on. He has to choose a running mate. So, so Bernie Sanders, by distracting Biden and forcing him to focus on beating Sanders, despite the fact that it was very clear Sanders had no shot, you know, he was really hurting the Democrat Party and really hurting Joe Biden's chances come November. That's really a lot of what this was all about. And Biden is at a serious disadvantage because he's so sidelined. Now, it's interesting. You know, my father made the point to me, Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign. They're always suspending their campaigns. Why not just drop out? And Bernie Sanders did not give his delegates to Joe Biden. And the answer is very simple, as my father pointed out, because let's say something were to happen to Joe Biden over the next few weeks, you know, before they actually officially formally give him the nomination at the convention. Well, what would happen? You know, Joe Biden, let's say he becomes incapacitated. I mean, you know, you know, crazier things have happened, certainly, especially if you look at, you know, some of the history here of Joe Biden these last few weeks and few months. Well, then who's going to become the nominee? Bernie Sanders then would, by default, probably become the nominee, or at least he would stand the best chance because he has all the delegates. He's not going to go and give up his delegates to Biden. He also didn't endorse Joe Biden. As far as I'm aware, Barack Obama still has not endorsed his own VP, Joe Biden, which we know it hasn't happened in months. Wouldn't you expect it at this point to happen? Well, not yet. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe today, maybe maybe this week. Now, the next question is going to be, okay, well, who's Joe Biden going to choose as a running mate? And I guess you could argue, I, I never am a big believer that a running mate really can make or break an election. I think it's overrated. I've never seen an election where the running, where it was like, all right, this candidate, he's a mediocre candidate. But sure, I do love his running mate, you know, and, and running mates have done harm. Uh, John McCain, famously Sarah Palin, even though it was very unfair the way she was treated, you know, but the media treated Sarah Palin as a doormat. Uh, Bush and Dan Quayle, arguably, now Bush won in 1988. But I mean, he was riding Reagan's coattails. It would have been Im- almost impossible for Bush to lose. I mean, you could have you could have had a monkey uh, running in, in 1988 against Michael Dukakis, and if it was Reagan's former vice president, then that that, that monkey would have won. Yeah, but uh, but Dan Quayle was arguably a liability because a lot of people he was made fun of in the media, also unfairly. That anytime there's a conservative who's unknown or who makes a few gaffes or blunders, I mean, the media will literally just wipe the floor just 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 totally mock them and just treat them in a disgraceful way i could check it list you numerous examples of that they never do it i mean joe biden who makes more blunders than joe biden and yet the media worships him and turns him into a hero but dan quayle and palin made a couple and that's it you know they were basically toast all right so who who is going to be the running mate we know the running mate's going to be a female because joe biden already pledged while ago to choose a female running mate, you know, because he knows that a female is going to be the most qualified. Of course, that's the reason. Nothing to do with just pandering, you know, to the to the liberals, to the feminists. But we don't know because just because a politician, you know, there's an old joke, right? How can he tell a politician is lying? His lips are moving. You know, so just the fact that Joe Biden pledged to choose a female running mate, especially with the coronavirus, he can claim that, well, you know, this is public health and safety. Who knows what? But 
the likelihood is you're going to pick a female running mate. So uh, there are some news outlets here that have kind of put together a list of the most likely running mates. We'll just run down some of the list here. I think some of these are, are actually pretty accurate. So some people are saying that the number one on Joe Biden's list is going to be Amy Klobuchar. We've suspected, speculated about this for quite a long time. She showed she showed herself to be a strong candidate. Number one, she's from Minnesota. She's from the Midwest, from a, an important swing state. So that could be a very big deal. You know, also, I guess she's viewed as being somewhat moderate. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing because, of course, Biden, he really wants to attract you know, the Bernie Sanders socialist radical left wing of the party. So Klobuchar is not going to help with that. But the big part about Klobuchar is, you know, that, of course, she dropped out of the race um, because essentially allowing Biden to consolidate the so-called moderate wing of the party. It was her and Buttigieg who were taking away so many of Joe Biden's uh, votes. So she, by her dropping out and endorsing Biden, that gave Biden the momentum that he desperately needed to beat Sanders. You could argue if, if Klobuchar and Buttigieg remain in the race a few more weeks, then right now Joe Biden might not be the nominee. You know, so did they cut a deal? We don't know, but he certainly is going to want to show his appreciation to Amy Klobuchar. The others on the list are Kamala Harris, Gretchen Whitmer, whose name has come out of nowhere. We'll get to her in a moment. Tammy Duckworth. Uh, now, there are others being listed who are not as high profile. Stacey Abrams of Georgia, uh, Michelle Grisham, Catherine Masto, and she's actually a, a senator from Nevada, and Elizabeth Warren. You cannot discount Elizabeth Warren from the list. She's a real long shot, you know, because you know, Elizabeth Warren, she, has, she comes with a lot of liabilities, and of course, she is a socialist. Now, that would help, again, to attract the socialist wing of the party, but at what expense? You know, would he totally lose? I believe that if Elizabeth Warren's on the ticket, you really jeopardize Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, which are sta- and Florida, which are states that Biden desperately needs. So let me tell you a little bit. See, Gretchen Whitmer is interesting because she's they're, they're looking at her as the female version of Governor Andrew Cuomo. She has gotten a lot of national media attention because she's the governor of Michigan, and she has been fighting, battling the coronavirus and gotten, again, really national, national attention. So she's come out of nowhere. So is this coronavirus going to kind of turn her into a hero? I actually thought that, you know, she she might be a very, very, she might really be up there, a top tier potential running mate option for Joe Biden, again, because she's gaining so much attention and she's getting a lot of praise for the way she's been dealing with the coronavirus. You know, Senator Kamala Harris, of course, she sort of basically accused Joe Biden of being a racist. I know you're not a racist, but, you know, I was that little girl with the busing. So it's actually interesting, Senator Kamala Harris at the same time, you know, obviously, Choosing a black running mate for Joe Biden would certainly come with a lot of benefits. He already showed his the, the, the black support helped him so much in South Carolina and could help him in a lot of states. So that could be very interesting. And then you have um, N- Nevada Senator uh, Catherine Cortez Masto and Mich- New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham. Both of those are Hispanic. So that could certainly help with the Hispanic vote, which is also something that Biden very badly wants. Stacey Abrams, of course. She's black. She almost became the governor of Georgia. She doesn't have a lot of experience. So, you know, a lot of people are discounting her. And there is this suggestion that Biden might choose Michelle Obama as a running mate. I don't believe it. I don't believe Michelle Obama would want to be uh, Joe Biden's running mate. But you could certainly understand the appeal for Joe Biden because a Biden-Obama ticket with Biden as the lead uh, candidate and Obama-Michelle being the running mate 
would certainly be very fascinating. Hillary Clinton, no. Hillary Clinton is not going to be Biden's running mate. Now, there is this debate brewing about voter by mail. The Democrats want there to be mail-in voting in November because of the coronavirus. And Republicans, President Trump and many Republicans say, no way, no chance, because all you're doing is inviting massive voter fraud. It'll totally delegitimize the election. And why does it always seem like this? The Democrats, they always seem to support these types of you know new voting options that could potentially lead to election fraud. You almost wonder, like, do the Democrats, do they support election fraud? Do they believe that, if, that they have an advantage if there's election fraud? If there are people who are going to be able to vote, who aren't technically registered to vote, do not deserve to vote, maybe perhaps illegals would vote by mail, you need in-person voting because you need to make sure that there isn't voter fraud going on. And it's almost as though the Democrats support voter fraud and Republicans. We've seen this happen so many times throughout the year. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, the IG report about the FISA abuses. Last week, there were declassifications of footnotes. Footnotes in the FISA IG report have been declassified. And it seems that James Comey and uh, former counsel for DOJ, Jim Baker, they refused to have their clearance reinstated. This is very interesting. The IG wanted to reinstate their clearance, Jim Comey and Jim Baker, the DOJ top lawyer, and they refused to have their clearance reinstated, which essentially means that they weren't allowed to discuss. The IG wanted to ask them questions uh, about the FISA scandal, and they refused to have their security clearances reinstated. So you have Ron Johnson, the Senate Homeland Security Committee chairman. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal last week, and he said, why? Why did James Comey and former FBI counsel James Baker, why did they refuse to have their clearance reinstated before being interviewed by the inspector general? Was it so that they would not have to explain certain information? In other words, they wouldn't have to answer certain questions about all the FISA abuses, about all the deception and the violations that were done uh, with the FISA applications, the Steele dossier, you know, when they were applying for a warrant to spy on Carter Page. Now, John Durham, remember the IG, he has very limited, uh, he's, he's, he's very limited in his power and being able to get people to talk if they don't want to talk. But John Durham is a whole different story. John Durham is almost like a special counsel, special prosecutor, so he can actually subpoena and he can actually depose and force these people to testify. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Now you wonder, is there ever going to be, they're talking about new criminal referrals uh, in this FISA spygate investigation. And, you know, we know John Durham has been investigating for for what has it been over a year, I believe, you know, since A.G. Barr appointed John Durham, just about a year. And when are we going to finally see some sort of indictment? Will we ever see an indictment? Are we ever going to see any sort of justice carried out, you know, for the FISA scandal, for all the, you know, the, all the different uh, corruption and crimes and who knows what else that went on with Spygate, with the Steele dossier, with misleading the FISA court, with spying on Trump, who was an opposition candidate using Hillary Clinton's bought and paid for research. It's just so egregious. And are we ever going to see justice? I'm so skeptical. But maybe, maybe, maybe we will. I, I'd be surprised. Now, meanwhile, Congressman Devin Nunes, the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, staunch Trump supporter, he actually uh, says there are going to be more criminal referrals handed down from the House. Remember, there were eight criminal referrals already 
targeting people tied to the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation. A lot of that has to do with leaks, and you wonder if it has to do with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who actually sent text messages about leaks that they seem to have uh, given to the media about Trump and about the Trump campaign and Trump-Russia collusion. And Nunes, this weekend on Fox News, he said that these new declassified footnotes in the IG report will likely generate new criminal referrals, so we're going to keep an eye on that. All right, a lot of interesting politics happening in Israel because you have this unity deal which is starting to crumble because they cannot agree about you know certain policy issues. They cannot agree about cabinet ministers. Benny Gantz has until midnight Monday night to form some sort of coalition. He has requested an extension because he says that the unity talks are moving forward, but uh, President Ruven Rivlin has refused to give an extension of the deadline to Benny Gantz. Now, at that point, Rivlin could then give the mandate to Netanyahu, or I guess, you know, back to Netanyahu. I mean, I don't know if Netanyahu ever officially had the mandate, but it's been Gantz's here the last few weeks because he was able to form that left-wing coalition, which Netanyahu never got past the 58, that, that, that level of 58 uh, Knesset members uh, supporting him in the right-wing coalition bloc. So it's really interesting and now Netanyahu has gotten a defector, so he's up to 59. Netanyahu needs two more without Benny Gantz. Netanyahu needs Benny Gantz's uh, 15 votes. But without those, Netanyahu, all he needs is two additional votes for his right-wing block. Now, remember, what Netanyahu has able, been able to do has been brilliant. because It's been masterful because Benny Gantz, he, his own party crumbled when he joined the unity talks with Netanyahu. So Lapid and Yalon and others, they abandoned Benny Gantz. So, so Benny Gantz, his left-wing block has totally collapsed at this point. He's just got the 15 Knesset member votes and that's it on his, on his side of things. But he's had the unity deal with Netanyahu. Once that expires, so think about this. Benny Gantz, he doesn't have the Knesset anymore on his own without Netanyahu. So he had this plan to basically pass a law that Netanyahu under indictment could not be the sitting prime minister. Can't do that anymore. All right, so he's going to do the unity government with Netanyahu. But if Netanyahu could just get the two more votes, then he suddenly doesn't need Benny Gantz anymore. And Benny Gantz becomes totally irrelevant. Was that Netanyahu's strategy all along? I don't know, you know, but he, he has left Benny Gantz with nothing. Benny Gantz's far, party has totally crumbled at this point. So what does he have left? He's forced to do this unity deal with Netanyahu. But if they can't get, come to agreements and get that done, then there's two choices. Gantz, in order to remain in power, is going to have to make major concessions to Netanyahu or Netanyahu gets, just needs two more defections. And suddenly he doesn't need Benny Gantz anymore, and then the unity government falls apart. Now, if nobody can form a coalition and they cannot come to any sort of agreement, then, of course, you may have a fourth round of elections. I mean, nothing would shock me at this point. I would be surprised. Uh, of course, Benjamin Rose of Mishpacha, when we interviewed him, he said he believes they are going to come to terms here on this unity deal. You have to believe Benny Gantz right now. He's got almost zero leverage. He's going to have to make a ton of concessions if he wants to stay as part of the unity government. And of course, then he'd become the prime minister in 18 months, presumably. So we will keep an eye on that. Very, very fascinating. Um, the, inter the, the, the IG, the inspector general for the Treasury Department, was looking into whether Steven Mnuchin was correct in not disclosing and not sharing the Trump tax returns and withholding the Trump tax returns from Congress after Congress subpoenaed it. And they have concluded, the IG, that Mnuchin was 100% correct, that the Treasury Department was correct in not 
giving the tax returns to Congress because the DOJ told Mnuchin not to do that, not to share it with Congress, that he should not, that that was the wrong thing to do, that he, that in fact, he wasn't allowed to share Trump tax returns with Congress. Now, the IG is saying that they did not conclude whether or not the DOJ was correct in that counsel that they gave, but from the Treasury standpoint, they were correct to listen to the DOJ. The petition calling for the resignation of the leader of the WHO, the World Health Organization, is now up to nearly 1 million signatures. And by the way, Republicans in Congress wrote a letter to the head of the WHO, Tedros, uh, demanding that he disclose his, his relationship with the Chinese Communist Party because WHO essentially protected the Chinese Communist ruling party uh, dur- during in January while this pandemic was spreading and the Chinese were covering co- covering it up. So the uh, House Oversight Committee group of Republicans wrote a letter saying, quote, throughout the crisis, the WHO has shied away from placing any blame on the Chinese government, which is in essence the Communist Party of China. U.S. leader of the WHO even went so far as to praise the Chinese government's transparency during the crisis when, in fact, the regime has consistently lied to the world by underreporting their actual infection and death statistics. And the GOP, the Republicans, mentioned a letter, uh, mentioned a message on Twitter when the WHO said that Chinese authorities found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of COVID-19. I mean, really, really sickening the way the WHO has praised China and basically enabled China and was an accomplice to China in their cover-up of this uh, pandemic for many, many weeks. That's going to do it on this very busy Sunday, and we will see you next time.